Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, it's Bartier here. Wanted to say thanks again for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast or any part of it, please be sure to subscribe. Give us five stars and a sweet review because it really helps. Today we have our friend Leslie Satcher. But before I get to her, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cathead Vodka out of Jackson, Mississippi. We love them because of their vodka, but also because of their heart for and support of live musicians. Check them out at catheaddistillery.com and catheadvodka on Instagram. Leslie Satcher. Man, Leslie's just one of those few people here in the songwriting community that you just count your blessings when you're in the same room as her. Voice like an angel, maybe an angel with an issue or two, but an angel nonetheless. A songwriter with over a thousand cuts and one of the best laughs you've ever been blessed to be around. Man, oh man, thank you, God, for Leslie Satcher. Hang on. Here we go. Leslie Satcher, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Bob. How are you? Well, I'm doing good with a no makeup on and just fresh off a dinner party. <laughs> thank God you're not filming. <laughs> no, I'm not even taking mental pictures. So this will just <laughs> Thank be, goodness you could go home and tell your wife, saw her with no mascara. <laughs> it was scary. Well, how was it? Well, it was fine, but she was behind a curtain the whole time. So I'm not, <laughs> it was like interviewing the Great like Oz. Oz. <laughs> exactly. Well, you are just an amazing writer. I mean, I was just looking, obviously, trying to do a little research. I mean, just a small, small, small list. Vince, Reba, George, Leon Womack, Travis Tritt, Trisha Yearwood, Willie Nelson, Sheryl Crow, Bonnie Raitt. Holy cow. Does that make you... Feel like you've done some good stuff? Did you say Willie Nelson? I did. Okay, yeah. Man, once you get the Willie Nelson and the George Strait, it's all gravy <laughs> from there. It does make it, 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 it's sort of embarrassing sometimes, Bart, when people like read your bio at a show. Yeah. Because you're like, ooh, ooh, nip it down, nip it down. But then you start going, no, I've suffered for 30 years for that. Talk, yeah. talk like there's no tomorrow. Absolutely. Um, it, it is, it has been a very, very blessed life. Um, and I know you've interviewed a lot of songwriters who have been, had these so many giant number ones, and I actually haven't had the giant number ones. What I've had, and it's always been a really odd thing for me in my career, is that I will always generally get a couple of cuts on a record, mm-hmm. more than one. And so it's so it's such a blessing because you're like, wait, they're a fan of the songs. They're a fan of the writer. And so you're like, oh, my gosh, it's such a compliment. Yeah. And it's also been, you know, it's been a great life for me and and my family. And and um, so I have absolutely no nothing, no complaints, none. How many cuts do you think you've had? Um, probably like a couple thousand or maybe a thousand. I think well, the consulting my management. Yes. <laughs> the last time I counted, it was over six hundred, but that was about ten years ago. Yeah, probably. So, I would let's say a thousand. Thousand because cuts. if you count like some indie people, you know, and sure. stuff like that, it's a lot. 
man, I was thinking, because I've had like 52, and I thought I was really in high cotton, but now it's like, man, I got, I'm starting over. To, tomorrow I'm starting over. But Bart, you've done other stuff. <laughs> I haven't, you know, been a rec- record label executive. You've done all that out of your back pocket, man. Think how great that is. Oh, yeah. I'm, there no, are professional there's... writers that won't have 50 cuts, and you've done that and two other jobs at once. Yeah, I keep, Amy, my wife, <clears> keeps <throat> saying, what are you going to do next? And I said, I've already had two Full careers. What am I going to do next? I'm going to sit down and count socks or something. I said, I ain't doing nothing next. That's all oh, you doing. won't. You'll be just like all the rest of us. You'll be like, what can I do next? I'm here. I'll raise my hand. Hey, must be present to win, Bart. That's, that is true. That is true. And caffeinated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hate to interrupt with the door sound on your recording. No. Hey, babe, I already fed them. It's outside on the thing. I gave Cat a little. You can grab it if you want to get some more. I gave her. We got a little cat that comes up. Aww. And she has, it's her house. Right. She was here in the barn when we got here, and so we're just living here, you know, by her grace. Still? Yeah, oh, yeah. And she knocks on the door every morning like, hey, friskies, yes. get them out here. <laughs> Do I look like I'm going to feed myself? I don't care Hello? how many cuts you've had. Get the friskies out here. <laughs> the freaking friskies. Keep the friskies coming, lady. So where is Paris, Texas? North Texas. It's north of, uh, it's like 100 miles northeast of Dallas, between okay. halfway between Dallas and Texarkana, right on the Red River, like 15 miles from the river, which Vince Gill always told me it might as well be Oklahoma, and I told him something I can't repeat on the exactly. microphone. <laughs> well, you can go to Oklahoma. I said, I ain't no Oklahoma <laughs> nut. <laughs> well, obviously, you grew up. Singing, still singing, fantastically. Your sister's a genius, great singer. Or was you a musical family? Mm-hmm. Was everybody. My like... dad was a gospel singer. He okay. was a gospel tenor. And actually, from our town, um, Dwayne Allen from the Oak Ridge Boys is oh, also yeah. from the area. He grew okay. up with my mom and dad, and they all were gospel singers and whatnot, and in school and everything. And so, when the Oaks um, were still, when, this is how far back I go. When they were still a gospel group. My dad's gospel group opened for them. Wow. And, um, and then when we lived in Denver for just a few minutes when I was a kid, um, that was when the Oaks like jumped the shark and went, they, you know, they bit the bullet and cut, you know, y'all come back saloon. And boy, it was on. They've gone straight to L and A and basket. But what they did was so brilliant because there were no groups at that time doing that, you know, with those gospel harmonies and those yeah. great vocals of Dwayne and all those guys. And um, so my dad and them, they didn't. They stayed in the gospel world. And, of course, you know, went on to make nothing. But um, <laughs> literally, literally tens of absolutely dollars. Absolutely make nothing. But um, he, my dad was a great tenor, and um, he left when I was uh, just about 11 or 12. And so we didn't really, we weren't really close to him after mm. that. But before that, um, he was a singer. My mom's always been a singer, too. But uh, we grew up in church singing, yeah, know, like all little good Baptist kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Were you writing back then, or did you even think about that kind of stuff? I was writing poetry in the first grade because I found in a little box a little poem that I had written for my mother. And so I always tell young writers that if you don't, if you're not reading Robert Frost, you know, get out of town. You need to learn, yeah. you know, the common man's language and be a poet. And they're all like, "Oh, I want to be a country writer." Oh, yeah. Well, how about studying Robert Frost and some of those guys? Yeah. Who who learned? You know, it's just that's just a form of haggard. You know, Absolutely. they just learned to speak like the people. And so I was writing um, poetry and stuff when I was a kid. And I, when I got my first guitar, um, it came from a yard sale. It was $5. My dad nice. actually bought it for me at a yard sale. And you still I have it? No, I wish I did. It was red and it was sort of like, you know, cardboard. Yeah. But um, it, um, I started fooling around with making stuff up when I was probably about 16 or something like that. You know, the horrible 
bad, bad, bad love songs, that kind of thing. But I didn't even really know Bart. I was so green. I didn't know you could make a living being a songwriter. I moved to Nashville to unseat Reba McIntyre to move her down the road. And um, I was like, look, Oki, you can go on home now. I'm here. <laughs> and so I didn't know I didn't know that you could be a songwriter. And I'll tell you, uh, the one who who clued me into that was a guy named Don Potter, mm-hmm. who was the guitarist and the and the mastermind behind the Judds. Yeah. And I met him because Larry Strickland and Naomi had kind of taken me under their wing at church. Larry introduced me to Don. I played my songs for him because Guy Penrod said, you know, you need to play your songs for him. And Don said, you know, he'd be, they were going to start a publishing company. Mm-hmm. He said, how about writing for us? And I went, no, I've got a good job at the Baptist Sunday School Board. What are you talking about? You know, and he said, he said, um, he, I said, if I'm a writer, they won't, they won't let me be a, an artist. And he goes, well, first of all, who is they? Right. And second of all, let me say a few words to you here. Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Paul Overstreet. Yeah. Willie Nelson. And I went, so? He goes, they all write their own songs, Leslie. And I went, where do I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could make a salary, Bart. And then they were well, like, and we'll pay you money. I'm totally with you. I grew up, my family was jazz and rock and stuff. When I looked at a ZZ Top record, all songs written by ZZ Top. I never knew people wrote. Other, I thought everybody wrote their own stuff. I had no idea you could actually write I, songs. I, I didn't know that was that you could make a living doing yeah. that. Like, I'm ashamed to say I, I didn't know who Harlan Howard was. Right. But I could quote every word to talk about the tale. Absolutely. So, But he wound up being one of my dear friends, and, mm. th- and I'm so thankful for it. It's funny. Uh, my ex-wife was Naomi Judd's publicist. Okay. So we always used to go. Well, she had her hands full. Um, yeah. <laughs> Naomi's what I like to call an interesting couple of gals. They are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> they are wonderful. And they've been so good to me. But, man, I'm telling you what, I was there when they were white hot and when that all happened where they were retiring and all that stuff. And I was so behind the curtain, so to speak. And I saw the great strife that they went through when all that happened. Yeah. And I will say this, uh, Bart, Naomi Judd is one of the reasons I'm sitting in this house talking to you. And one of the things she taught me was one night, and and I've and I, since on in my career, it really has, as my own career as an artist, I've thought of this a million times. I need to tell her. She, was, she didn't feel good. And I was sitting on the bus with her, and I said, why don't you just cancel tonight? Don't don't go out there. I mean, she really didn't feel good. And she said, Leslie, 17 families depend on me getting up and going out there and mm-hmm. putting on that red dress and acting like I don't feel like I feel great. Yeah. 17 families. It's not about me. And I thought, wow, that was a lesson. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was funny. I was in Larry's office one day and he was listening to live Elvis. And this is so bad, but Elvis, I don't believe, is still here. But he said, you do or you don't? I don't. Oh, okay. But he said, as Elvis gained weight, mm-hmm. he gave me his old clothes. Like He's got one of Elvis's jumpsuits and stuff at their house. What? But he said, also, as he gained weight, he couldn't hit the low notes. So Elvis was So he would... Larry was hitting on. Yeah. So Elvis would lean down and kind of point at Larry, and Larry knew mm-hmm. that's when he was... He goes, listen, mm-hmm. listen, listen. That no, that was me right there. That was me right there. It's like mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But okay, so you started writing. I've always been intrigued. It, it seems a lot of quote unquote creatives or whatever 
come from a background of not a lot of money. <laughs> and so it can fuel your work ethic. <laughs> yes. But I also think it makes it great because you're not scared to lose everything to write a song. Well, if to, you don't have anything to lose, exactly. you have everything to gain. And I, you're right. I, I love that. And it's like, that's why I like before we were talking about like buying a house, your first house. Man, that's a huge step. And it just seems so adult. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm 54 years old and I still don't feel like an adult. But if I had to buy another house, I sure would. I know. It does make you feel, and it, boy, it can, like I was ta- I was going to tell you about, you know, when we bought this house, Paul Overstreet, who's an, a, an old friend of mine, we were we were talking about it. I think we were writing that day or something, and I said, I found this house, and it's a little bit more than I had budgeted, you know, that I was going to spend. I wasn't going to go over this number. And he goes, how much more? And I told him, you know, it's just a little bit more. And he said, do it, Leslie. He said, it'll make you work harder. Yeah. And he wasn't kidding, because the day we worked in here, I was like, double my writing appointments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, and it, it just, it does make you go, wait a minute, insurance, you know, oh, holy cow, all this stuff that comes with the house. And then, you know, and right now I can see out the front door, you know, the, uh, the fence this year has to be repaired. We've got to paint this joker this year. Yep. I mean, it's, it's a constant thing. But it also, last night, was full of legendary songwriters, singers, music industry people that came for a Christmas dinner party and... And the stories that were told in this room, and that have things that have happened in this room, Bart. I mean, I've had I've had guitar pulls where I looked up, and it was Amy Grant and Vince sitting next to Paul Overstreet, and his wife sitting next to Mickey Raphael with a harmonica, <laughs> yeah. sitting next to Harry Warner and his wife, and that was just all in a circle. And Scotty Emmerich was sitting there chiming and playing with Amy. It, I mean, that happened one night in, in this house. room, yeah. that, in this room that God gave us. Yeah. And if I have to work double jobs to keep it. Let it be done. Yep. Because it, it is it is a blessing from God, and I it never it, that never uh, goes far from my mind. Yeah. So. Mm, mm, mm. So you moved here, I believe, in 1989. I did. So why did you choose Nashville? Was it to because you were going to unseat? Well, Reba. Pretty sure I was, and thank God she uh, I didn't unseat her, and she's cut my songs and kept us here. So <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure I was. I'm really happy. Um, you know. Here's what happened, Bart. I all when I was a little kid, my mother. Uh, we had all the gospel records, all the '76 rockabillies. That's where I got all my soul and groove mm-hmm. stuff from because of Little Richard, Elvis, all that stuff on '70. You know, on '70, '76s or '78s. '78, '78s. Yep. So Mama had all those. You know, from when she was 15. You know, and so that's what we had. And Dolly and Porter. Okay. Nice. So when we were little kids one time, Jeannie and I, Mama had a French provincial stereo, you know, kind of had the little lid you lift up on one side, and mm-hmm. there's the turntable in one side, and a stereo cabinet, you know, piece of furniture. And we, we were so little, Jeannie, we'd get up on this stool, and Jeannie would, I'd make her hold the lid up while I put the needle back on Dolly and Porter, <laughs> the duets album. I'll never forget it. And then I turned around one time, I was probably about, I bet I was about six. And I had a hairbrush I was using for a microphone. Nice. I turned around and I told Mama, I said, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not having any babies, and I'm going to be a country western singer. <laughs> well, Bart, I did not have any babies, and I am a country western <laughs> yes. singer. So I'm pretty sure I set the path right then and went yes. down that road. But when I went to, I was in uh, in theater, I was a theater major and all that stuff in school, because in my hometown there wasn't a music program at our community college there. And then um, our junior college. Well, then my friends all went to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know anything about being an Aggie, but they were all going there. So I was like, okay, I'll go there. 
Well, I talked myself into the architecture school down there, which was great for the art part of it. But Bart, when you have to learn how to make a bridge stand up, that takes calculus. I'm a songwriter and a singer. And I went, mm, this ain't working for me. So I left and I came home back to Paris. And and here's what happened. I told you that um, I grew up with the you know Dwayne Allen's bunch and all that down there. And Dwayne's nephew lived up here. And he, he called me. He was a friend of mine. And he said, he said, uh, hey, Leslie, he said, you need to come up here and see Nashville. And I went, I, I couldn't make it in Nashville. I, don't, I, I was so down. He goes, just come up here for three days. And I said, okay. And, and I had Bart, I had $185. And I used 40 <laughs> of it in gas getting up here in my, in my uh, Impala. And I got up here, and he took me to lunch over by the Parthenon. And we went to Barbara Mandrell's museum. I remember it well. And on the parking lot, there was one of those little you put your voice on the tracks places, you know, mm-hmm. you know for ten dollars a song. They you could pick from the list, you know. And of course, I like every chick singer. I pick crazy and something sure. else, and some Crystal Gale something. <laughs> and I and I said, well, I don't have much money, but I want to hear what this sounds like. Well, I went in there and I recorded crazy and something else. I think it was I don't know what it was, and I went. It was like a drug, Bart. It was like someone put a hypodermic needle in my wrist and just shot adrenaline in it. I went, because I heard myself with reverb. I'd never heard that. No. Okay, so you've been singing all the time. You'd never, was that the never first time you've Never been in a recording ever? studio. Okay. I've never heard, any, never heard anything like that. Yeah. I've been singing in church and high school and college, right. you know. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I came out, I had a hundred bucks. When I came out, I had 10 songs and no money. I was like, I go, oh my gosh, these are records. How get me down to music row? How do I turn? And, and let me tell you this part. Let me tell you this. Thank God in heaven. And I talked to him at a dinner party several years ago, Jerry Crutchfield, a friend of mine from Paris, Texas, knew, knew Jerry Crutchfield. And he was white hot with Tanya right yep. then. And of course, she was from Pattonville, which is right outside of Paris, Texas. Okay. So I had all this little connection. He, and I came home to Paris with those and I went straight to my friend and played them for me. He goes, would you take those up there and play them for my friend, Jerry Crutchfield? And I went, oh, you think? What? And he goes, yeah. And I go, that's it. I'm getting a record deal. That's it. So I come trucking right back up here. <laughs> And I went to, and I got a meeting at Jerry Crutchfield's office with his assistant. Okay, and so I get in there, and I have these three, you know, and I go, these are <clears throat> these are my songs here. Uh, these are my demos I've got here, and uh, I thought you maybe Mr. Crutchfield liked to hear them. She goes, "Well, I know he would," and so she took them from me. She was so kind. Don't you know she slid those suckers right off the desk into a wastebasket mm-hmm. when I was out the door because I never heard from Jerry Crutchfield. <laughs> but at the BMI Awards one year, I saw him and I told him that story. He goes, "I was just about to call you," and I'm like, "Jerry Crutchfield, you are not <laughs> so funny." <laughs> well, who? Who did you write with, and how well, did you get writing appointments? How I got writing appointments, and this is such a great story. I was working for Sparrow Records, which is um, okay. uh, a Christian record label. Yeah, I was the lowest man on the top. I was answering the phone. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, Stephen Kirsch Chapman. Yeah, I'll get those right out to you. Well, um, I was playing. I had done a thing at the Bluebird. I had done that thing where you audition and you can play on a Sunday night. Well, when you play on a Sunday night at the Bluebird, and they still do this, they have like a guest uh, professional songwriter at the end of the evening who comes up and does like two or three songs. Mm-hmm. Well, that night it was Max T. Barnes. Oh, nice. And so he comes up to me after and he goes, hey, 
He goes, you're great. He goes, how about playing a little show with me downtown? I'm, I'm, I'm opening for Linda Davis. And I was like, Linda Davis. And I went, oh my gosh, yes. So Bart, <laughs> it was in that it is now currently the gift shop for the Hard Rock Cafe, that little tiny two story building right mm-hmm. on the corner. Yep. Um, or no, it's, I don't know if it is now. It was a gift shop for the Hard Rock, but it's, it was the first two story building in Nashville, that little teeny building. Was it really? On the corner of Second and, and Broadway, right yep. there on that corner. Well, um, we go up there, and Bart, seriously, it is this little tiny shotgun bar up there, and it was so new, they had Haydite blocks and two by sixes or two by twelves that was the bar, and they were served only two things, Michelob and um, uh, Michelob and it's like Paps or something. It was, it was bad, and that was, it was sort of a little biker bar almost. Well, it's jammed, and sure enough... I get up there and, and, and I have to hire a guitar player because I don't really play guitar that good at that point. And so, um, and some would say not now either. <laughs> and anyway, um, uh, we're on this little teeny corner stage and we're playing and, and Max plays and there's this couple sitting in the front row and they're just engaged. The man's listening to me and he's an older gentleman, beautiful silver hair. And his wife is just, man, they're just loving it. You know, they're loving it. Well, I, they take a break before Linda comes on <laughs> and makes her way through the crowd of 21. And so I go downstairs to, to just get a breath of air, and I'm standing on the sidewalk, and the gentleman's standing there smoking, this man with the silver hair, and he goes, man, you're great. I said, well, thank you very much. And his wife is standing there. And I said, um, thank you so much. I said, uh, are you all visiting Nashville? The southern hostess that I am. Bart. Exactly. You all visiting Nashville? And they look at each other, and they start laughing. They go, well, we sort of are visiting Nashville. We don't live in town. And I said, oh, well, I said, that's country music week. Have y'all been to some of the sites? And they yes, we have. And they're just laughing. Now his wife's about to swallow her cigarette. They're both smoking <laughs> like freight trains. And she goes, and they're just looking at each other. And, and he said, as a matter of fact, we were at those, that big award show last night. And I went, you are kidding at the Opry House? And he said, yeah. And I, oh my gosh. I said, you can't even get tickets to that. I said, do you have good seats? And they go, sure did. And I said, well, where'd you sit? And he said, we sat fourth row center. And I went, on the floor? And he went, yeah. And I went, and right then, the light bulb over my dim head comes on. I go, oh, no. And I went, oh, were you getting an award? And he goes, I, I was. I was up for one. I said, did you win? And he goes, mm-hmm. I said, which one did you win? He goes, song of the year. And I go, are you Max D. Barnes? And he went, Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And now I'm about to pass out. And his wife is laughing so hard, Patsy. She was precious. I don't know if you knew him or not, but I knew Max. I didn't know. Her. Oh, she was a hot mess. She was a little pistol. Precious, precious people. And he started signing my songs like one-offs. You know, he every time I go to his house, he'd sign it for a hundred dollars. And boy, I'd go home write another and go back other. Here's a new one. <laughs> and so then he took it on himself to um, help me get a publishing deal. So he and Max, I was playing. Uh, Max was writing for Brad and Julie over at uh, this new company they had just started. They were off uh, called Islandbound. And then I was also talking to uh, to uh, Fire and Gallimore over oh, Pride. Nice. <laughs> and so. Um, I was bouncing back and forth, and I I picked um, Islandbound, which Missy Callumore's never let me forget. Um, I picked Islandbound, but um, that's where it started. Max D. Barnes, man, I know. Yeah, that guy, he could smoke a cigarette. Man, they were eating cigarettes. They ain't even smoking. <laughs> so I'll have another one. They were eating those cigarettes. Bless their hearts. So, so your first publishing deal was it? 
Copub anything? Was it just Oh, strictly, no, 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 no. It wasn't Copub. I, I announced to them, <laughs> the smart woman that I am. Right. I said, now, look, I'm making $15,000 a year at this record label, and I can't take any less than that. I have to have... I have to have $15,000. And they were like, well, okay. <laughs> what they weren't going to do was give me a publishing deal because, and I mean, I'm just going to tell it right on the old microphone, <laughs> they weren't going to give me one. But every night, Max T. Barnes is the reason I got my publishing deal. He told me, he said, Leslie, he goes, every day when you get done work, he goes, you come up here and we'll write a song. And we'll turn a song in in the morning. He goes, let's just seed the, the field here. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So every night I would do that. I would come up, I would leave my job in Brentwood, go drive straight to Music Row and write with Max from 5 till, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And we'd write a song and we'd demo it on this little, you know, yep. Tascam four track. And, and the next morning, Julie would have it on her desk. Well, one fine morning, she picked up one of those and she pitched it. Well, guess what? Tim McGraw put it on hold. Well, there you well, go. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm sitting at the dadgum, uh, What's that restaurant there um, behind the Pancake Pantry, the swanky one that everybody used to have lunch at? It starts with an S. Uh, uh, oh, I can see. You know who I'm talking Randy, about. Randy, what's-his-face, was the owner of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sitting at lunch now with the people with look, talking uh-huh. contracts. And so that's when I said to him, <laughs> I want the corner office upstairs, and I want um, and I want $15,000 a year. Well, and, and they said, and that's all. And I went, that's all I need. Because Miss Thane didn't know about asking for yeah. publishing. So um, the first four years were just <laughs> uh-huh. straight up $15,000. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're going to give me some money, but i got to pay it back. Yeah. You're going to help me cut some demos, but i got to pay that back. Yeah. And then if something good happens, you're going to take half of that. Yeah. Oh, where do I sign? Bart, I was so green. I was so green when I did my first demo session. I didn't like the engineer. He was He was real nasty to me. And I was like, and 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 kind of some of the not the players, but some of the people singing around there were just I didn't I didn't like it. And so I went up and I asked my publisher Julie. I said, "Who's who's paying them? Who hired these guys?" Right. And she goes, "Well, you did." And I go, "Well, you mean I'm paying them?" She goes, "Yeah, because you pay all this back. So generally, we're cutting the check right now, but <laughs> you you'll pay it back." I went, "So I can hire whoever I want." And she said. Yeah, yeah, I guess if you don't want them, I said, well, let me tell you who I want. I want this kid who's an intern down here at Fame, uh, Famous that's working with Carl Jackson. This kid's name's Luke Wooten. He's a Belmont student. I want him. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, well, okay. okay. I marched right down there. I fired that dude. Marched down there, and I, I told Luke, I said, hey, kid. I said, and he was working on a little ADAC player down there oh, in that yeah. Famous studio. I said, you know how to run a two-inch tape studio? He goes, I sure do. I said, you got my next session next week. Let's be over there. And he goes, okay. So I noticed he was kind of white and pale all during that session. I had seven pickers in there, Bart, man. I had them jammed in there. Seven. That's, that's a That was band. the day. Yeah. And <laughs> it was over. Ain't enough. We're going to need Oh, yeah, no, we're going to need double, double down. <laughs> Two bass players, yeah. And so, anyways, after the session, I go, Luke, I go, you were kind of pale through this whole thing. You okay? And he goes, I've never worked on a two-inch tape machine. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what? <laughs> That's not what you told me. And did you know he produced my first record for Warner Brothers, and we're still working together, still best friends. Yeah, that's. I loved when you got doing a session, because I think I have, I mean, nothing compared to you, but I think I have about 1,000 demos. <laughs> and about 600 of those are within one player, mm-hmm. the same band. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like when you can go in there and that guitar player already knows what you want, that keyboard player already knows what you want, mm-hmm. you're not going to get three songs in a three-hour session. You're going to get six, maybe seven, because, man, you're flying because everybody's on the same page. A perfect example of that, Bart, is, and as you know, if you've seen me play guitar, because I play um, in an open tuning, and I, I, and thank God I learned drop D because that opened up every chord on the planet to me because oh, I, yeah. I could only play three chords until I learned that drop D right. thing. And now I just play with one finger like Dolly Parton. <laughs> Boom. But then Big Al taught me a bunch of stuff and I learned to swank around, you know. But um, he taught me to swank around. But, I like that. Um, yeah. That sounds Big Al-ish. Uh, it's very Big Al-ish. He told me, quit looking at that guitar. Just play that thing like you own it. He goes, I, 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 you, you, I just rock it. I go, what if I mess up out? He goes, they don't know. Nope. Man, I tell you, I started owning that sucker. People now are like, can you give us lessons? Like, hey, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what I just did, but I can't do the same thing twice. My husband drives him crazy. But what I was going to tell you was, in the studio one time, I had one picker that was new, like you're talking about how you have different players. And and for years and years, I've used Michael Rhodes on bass and mm. um, and then and Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And um, this picker said, you know, that that's not really a chord that she's doing there. And Michael Rhodes goes, man. Just saturate it. That's what we do when we come in here. Just follow Leslie. I don't care if it's a quarter or not. Just whatever she wants, do it. Saturate she knows what she it. wants. Just saturate it. And so he's kind of, we can, he, Michael Rhodes named my publishing company. He doesn't even know it because it's called Saturated Songs now. But he said, he, he just saturate it. Just do what she wants. It don't matter if it's a quarter or not. Just make it up. My, my band leader forever has been St- uh, Stephen Sheehan. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's like, he's like half of my brain. Yeah. He knows exact. I never have to say to him, this is what I want, Steve. Yeah. That's like you're talking about. Yeah, Big Al, we were writing one day, and you know how he just kind of sits there with his eyes closed and scowling, even though he's mm-hmm. a very happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you'd say joyous, but he's pretty he's, happy. He's Big Al. He said, Bart, you're one of the best guitar owners I've ever met in Nashville. And then he just kind of had that little... Uh-huh. That little grin like uh-huh. He said the just, same thing to me he? Yeah, he uses that line, Bart He uses that line And let me tell you Me and him and Vince had just written this song We wrote three songs in this one day And Vince cut them all on that box set that won the Grammy of the Year Oh, I was so happy yeah. But um, <laughs> we got through with this one song called uh, Rock of Your Love And Alan, uh, his wife had just gotten married Vinny and Amy had just got married Me and Davey had just got married So everybody was in love right. So we wrote this great love song And... Um, and everybody's still in love, thank thank goodness. Yeah, we all picked picked well, but uh, yes, I, I I could play this one, and I sat there and I told Vinny, I go, hey, I, I can play this, I can play this, and and they were like, we we got this, honey. Yeah, and I was like, no, I can play this one, I can play this one, and they're like, yeah, yeah, and I said, hey, I'm a very unique guitar player, and Al goes, you're a very unique guitar owner, and I was like, God. But anyways, Bart, you know that thing he does where he, he'll take like, if you're on a C chord and he slides up like that, oh, yes. rah, 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 like that. Well, I've been watching him, you know, for years. And I was like, I think I can do that. So I fooled him with it. So one night we were in a show at the Bluebird or something. I did that. He goes, he leans off to the side. He goes, hey, that thing you're doing. And I go, yeah. And he goes, don't do that anymore. That's my thing. And I went, sorry, dude. Grasshopper has learned. It's on. <laughs> and then from the rest of the night, he's playing with his back to you because he doesn't want you to steal any more secrets. Hey, man, sorry. Grasshopper learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been called a guitar owner and also guitar holder 
once oh, or twice. That's a new one. I hadn't heard that yeah, one. That's pretty nice. It's a you guitar holder. <laughs> he oh. loves you, by the way. He always, you know, when Big Al finds uh, someone he loves, he'll call me and ask me if I know him. You know Bart Allman? I go, I've known him for like, since I was a baby. He goes, He's great. I go, Yeah, I know. All right, bye. And it's just like that. That's the conversation. Click. You're like, And he, he never writes anything down. He, he <laughs> no, honestly no. doesn't have any numbers in his phone. No. He just, for some reason, that head of his works that way. Mm-hmm. Every time I talk to him, how you doing, boy? Mm-hmm. I go, when do you want to ride again? He'll go, uh, February 17th. Yeah. Okay, I'll be over. Mm-hmm. He, he, here's what I love about him. <laughs> this is what I love about my friends, Bart. And you, and you have the same friends, so you'll, you'll appreciate this. You can like call Big Al or something and go, what are you doing? I'm on a plane with Santana. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What are you doing? I'm in Kroger, Al. Right. I'm in Kroger. Picking out a head of lettuce. I've got two oranges in my hand, trying to figure out if I can afford both of them. <laughs> You're on a plane with Santana. Shut up. Click. Yeah, he's got... Uh, you've been to his place out in Santa Fe? We know that, times. That Love little it. cabin where you stay that used to be the artist? Yes. Well, I got up out of bed one night, and instead of going left to the bathroom, I went right to the closet. And I just opened the closet and hit the lights, and it's like, uh-huh. oh, crap, this is not where I need to be. Uh-huh. And I looked up, and there's an 8 by 10 of him and John Candy. Yeah. Just hugging on each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He loved the queue, man. He used to come to all our shows. I was mm-hmm. like, dang. He was, I did a show with him the other night at the distillery for Jill Block, and, and um, he, they were taught she was reeling off his you know, list of accomplishments. His first cut, he was 14. And I leaned over to him because she, she didn't say who it was. I leaned over to him and go, who was it, Al? And he goes, Carpenters. I didn't know that. <laughs> 14. <laughs> His first cut was the Carpenters. I mean, the, he, he's just a living legend. Yeah. He's a living legend that most people have never heard of. Yeah. And it's like Bob, Bobby D's thing, you know, we're the most famous people you've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, man. Best guitar player in my price That's range. true. Yeah, and he'll never tell you about it. No, no, no. So, being a woman, are you uh, are you outraged at the lack of girls on country radio? No. Oh, on country radio? Yeah. I think that's a shame because there's so many talented female singers, and I've been in that pool of of new artists as a girl, and yes. and had the trouble of trying to get played and all yeah. that stuff. And I mean, it it's a shame. Now we had a big heyday during Dixie Chickland during that time, and it rolled yeah. over where no guys were getting record deals. Yeah. You were working that that gig. You were there during those years. You know what was happening, and no guys could get a deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it just flip flopped, and it was so. I mean, when when. When they will only play Miranda and Carrie, and that is it, they will absolutely not play anyone else until Taylor came along. Yeah, and you and you so that you got three female acts that are getting played, and all these people and lots of great recording artists. It, it it's a shame. It's a shame. Do you think that's a product of them being women, or is it the product of songs, or is did bro country come in and just? I mean, like after Gretchen, kind of to me, kind of accidentally started Bro mm-hmm. Country. <laughs> she kind of did, you know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But it's like after that. I mean, is that just a product of just? I think it is a little bit. Now, I think that. I, I think it kind of went to. 
the, the sort of the party syndrome, the party deal. The, the females really, other than, say, Miranda mm-hmm. really and, and Gretchen, really weren't writing party music. Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. They were writing, you know, like, they're, I mean, carrying them, they're singing, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, yeah. and, 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 and good for them because they are, and I'm sorry, they were playing Carrie. They, uh, and, and, and still are. Um, they, they, the girls, bless their hearts, are still holding the flag for the, you know, the song song, you know. Right. Not to say that guys weren't. But I mean that that music that came in the party music, the bro country stuff. Now I have friends. We will not mention their name here on this nice microphone. <laughs> who have griped their heads off about that stuff and like it's awful. Bart, when we're in the swimming pool in the summertime out here, not buying the house here, the little cement pond, and Al Dean comes on back row. We Dude. we're like crank it. We Absolutely. love it. It's fun. I made my speaker go boom boom. We're like turn it up. Yeah. You know. Is that is that rocket science? No, it's nope. not. But you know what? It's fun. And so people, I think, really want to have a distraction from their own lives, which are hard. Sure. So if you can give them a fun party song, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. If I could write that stuff all day long, I'd be up there I, writing it all day absolutely. long. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? And I have written some of it, and some of it's been cut, some of it hasn't. But those guys found a formula that worked for them, and it's no different than when Harlan Howard found a formula that worked for him. Yeah, and he had four songs in the top ten most of the time. Boom. There's a, a show called The Big Interview with Dan Rather. Mm-hmm. And he had Marty Stewart on there, who's one of my heroes. Love and you could tell he was kind of digging... And he said, you know, what do you think all these young guys in the bro country, you know, mm-hmm. knowing exactly what he was looking for? And Marty mm-hmm. said, Dan, anybody that knows me or has ever heard of me knows I'm a classic country guy playing classic country music. Mm-hmm. But it'd be pretty stupid of me to point at the guys that are selling out stadiums and telling them what they're doing wrong. Yeah, no kidding. And I thought that's the best answer. He, he kind of got his point across. Mm-hmm. But I remember mm-hmm. when I started working with Florida Georgia Line, I came home and Amy was like, how was it? And I go, 15,000 people are singing along with every word to every song for the freaking opening act. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? It's a blast. And you know, Bart, one time I was talking to, um, I love Brett, Brett James. Oh, and yeah. um, we've written, we were on Al Dean's, um, it's either the first record or second record. And we were sitting and talking a couple, little bit after that. And that's when the, the peach pickers and all that stuff was mm-hmm. just exploding. Oh, yeah. And I said to him, I go, Brett, what is the secret to that? He goes, it's the same old secret that it always has been, Leslie. Three chords and don't get off of it. Yep. Three chords. He goes, and have fun. Have fun with three chords and don't get off of it. Yep. He goes, do not complicate it. Don't overthink it. Just fun. Here we go. And I thought, that's what everybody's trying to figure out what are they doing, what are they doing. They're just keeping it simple, keeping it fun, and they know who they're writing for. Absolutely, they know who they, they know their audience. They've studied it. They've been their audience they, yeah, not they, that long yeah, ago, <laughs> and so they they know they're they're writing for their audience. And I've always thought this, um, uh, Bart, and people have all, you know some people have said to me before, what's the secret of George Strait and Reba McIntyre, those mm. icons, and and Vince Gill? What's the secret to those guys? And I went. The secret to those guys is they keep making the same great record yep. over and over and over. Yep. You know, George Strait, he didn't go off and make a um, – he's a giant Sinatra fan. Giant. Is he really? Oh, yeah. I, I don't. That. I mean, he didn't tell me that, but people have told me yeah. he's a huge Sinatra fan. Has he gone and made one of those records? Nope. 
new because the guys at the NFR want to hear a George Strait record. Absolutely. And the boy is smart. Yep. And yep. so is Irv Woolsey. None of those cats get too Quote far off that. that. <laughs> exactly. None of those cats get too far off the road, man. You've worked with like... the record label, and you've seen what happens when an artist does that. You go off the rails. Yep. Off the rails. Because your fan base, in country music, our fans are so devoted and so, I mean so devoted, Bart. I was just in London in um, March or May, one of the two. And I was doing a show at the O2 with Walker Hayes and oh, Ashley wow. McBride for the Bluebird. And there was a big signing line after, you know, where they could bring their product up. And Ashley and Walker were having a hit on the radio there in the U.K. at the time as artists. And I was playing, you know, my hits that I was had with other people. And um, there's this long line of people. And I was feeling a little... Like, uh, like, oh, no, I've kind of in the way. I should just move back and let Ashley and Walker do this. You know, I'm, I'm sort of feeling that moment, yeah. you know. And um, the first lady in line goes, would you mind to sign these for me, please? This is in London, outside London. She had my record from Warner Brothers. She had two of my indie records. She had sheet music I didn't even know had been printed on my songs, on my own songs. She had all that, and I went, where did you get this? And she goes, oh, I've been following you for years. I have all your things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it was such a beam from heaven yeah. into my head, Bart, that country music fans anywhere in the world are so devoted. And that that is my point is that these guys who are icons, they understand that. Yeah. The peach pickers, they understand that. Yep. They understand that. They know that they they've hit a groove. And why jump out of that groove? Yeah. Stay on the groove, you know? <laughs> and it's, I mean, and they probably get to where they want to do something different because they're talented guys. Yeah. The singers are talented. Those four Georgia Line guys, they're talented guys. Yeah. They want to stretch out. They want to do different things. And it is and it is a catch-22. Absolutely. Because then they can't do that. Yeah. So. And it's hard to get back through that door once you shut mm-hmm. it behind you. I will say this. When I made my first record, Anthony Martin, Anthony Martin came to me and said, I want to tell you one piece of advice. And I said, okay. And he said, um, he was working with, uh, at that time, Tammy Wynette was still alive. Yep. And they were doing that box set for Sony. I'm sure you probably worked that set. And Anthony was remixing her. Maybe she, maybe she was already gone. I'm not sure. I think she was already gone. Okay, he was doing the remix on yeah. it or something. Doing those, remixing all those old masters. And he said, I want to tell you something Tammy Wynette told me one time. He said, I asked her, what is the secret to your success, Tammy? And he said, I want to tell you, Leslie, so you remember this. And I said, okay. He said, she told me, Anthony, she said, when I was just a young hairdresser in Alabama, um, she said, I thought to myself, when I got the first chance to make a record, she said, I, I, I went in there and, I, and she told Billy Sherrill, uh, I believe this is how it goes. She said, I want to sing something that I can sing when I'm 50 years old on the Opry. And she was in her 20s. Yeah. So she recorded things. She, she meant lyrically? Yes. Okay. That she could sing her whole career. She already had that mindset of this is going to be a long road for me. Yeah. And I need to know up front what I'm doing because I'm going to be doing that when I'm 50 or 60 yeah. or 70. Or I think, what, how old was she when she passed? Like 70-something. Yeah. yeah. And she was still singing stuff from that first record. Man. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really good thing to learn early on because yeah. what if you do hit? You better make sure that what you're singing on this record is something you want to be singing on the Opry when yeah. you're that old because your fans are going to want that. There's very few 
any things where you can have a 50-year-long career. That's true. You know, it's like you talk about even professional athletes, four or five years, a lot of them. Such an odd thing in politics. Yeah. Maybe maybe acting. Maybe acting, yeah. If you can grow old. If you're smart like Robert Duvall. Yeah. And you'll take the character parts yeah. until you're a giant star and you'll still play character parts. Yeah. That's what I am. I'm a sort of a, like sides. I'm like a little sideways Robert Duvall over here. <laughs> hey, country music story, great. One night I was playing the Bluebird Bar, and it's jammed. It is jammed. I mean, there are people hanging off the rafters, and I forget who it was, but I think it might have been Kent Blazy or somebody. It was early in the year, and he said, um, "Look to your left. Look to your left." And I always sit with my back to that pole um, that faces the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, my back to the front door. I love that spot. And I've got all so many years I've played there. I can hear. I know how the speakers sound right. in that spot. Yeah. And so I was sitting there, and on that little bench, it's like a park bench in front of the pews. Yeah, yeah. My friend's going, look, look. And I, I, I just kind of like turn my head and look. There's Robert Duvall and oh, his wife. On. Oh, yeah. Sitting three feet from me. And I about freaked out because I'm the biggest Robert Duvall fan. And I go, oh, my God. And he was in town for June Carter's funeral. Oh, wow. And I was like, what a country music moment. It was so great. Oh, it was awesome. Did you lean over to him and go, you want me to sign anything? I said nothing to the man. I left the man alone. I was just thankful that he was there. I just sang my ass off for him. So. I said nothing to the man? I said nothing to the man. I did not bother the man. <laughs> well, you um, have, there's a little thing called Leslie Satcher and the Electric Honey Badgers. Come on. And I believe your quote is, it's like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Bonnie Raitt had a baby. Uh-huh. That's about as good as it's, Stevie's my ultimate. Me too. And yeah, that's well. That's an awesome record, man. Oh, thank you. Um, I went uh, with a new publishing company about three years ago, um, Notting Hill. They're based out of London and L.A. And um, I started writing with somebody who'd been here for a while because he started writing with that company, Brad Chrysler. And um, we started writing this stuff. And Brad's from Muscle Shoals, you yep. know, so he just loves that whole groove and sound and everything. And as you know, I'm uh, part of my deal is and. And, and record labels will send their acts to me if they're bluesy, you know, because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you got to write with Leslie. She's bluesy. And so um, he one day I went over to write with him, and he goes, uh, hey, let's just write anything. What would you write if you were writing, say, for you? And I went, do this. And I started working on that song called Deepwater Woman. Oh, yeah. That's the first song that we wrote together for this record. And we wrote, he goes, the next day he goes, let's write another one of those. So I'm like, okay. So we wrote four of those. And he goes, hey, you know what? He goes, why don't we go down to Muscle Shows and, and demo these? And I went, really? And he goes, yeah. Have you ever worked down there? No. He goes, they work different than us. He goes, I'll get a great band together. David Hood on bass, you know, played with the Stones and everybody played else. With a few folks. Yeah, Rita and all those cats. You and heard I'm them. like, yeah, might have heard them. And so I go, <laughs> okay. And we went to Jimmy Nutt's studio there, which um, Jimmy is the guy who engineered and cut the Steel Drivers record that won the big Grammy okay. and all that stuff. He won a Grammy for it. He's great. His studio is a little off uh, in downtown there. And um, so we had this great band sitting there. We had uh, Moose, you know, on yep. B3. We had uh, Tommy Harden on drums. Oh, man. And, uh, and my request was James LeBlanc on oh, yes. lead guitar wearing it out. And, and, Brad's, and there was another gentleman that played acoustic that I did not know, and of course David Hood on bass, famous swamper, and um, and we cut them, and at the end of the day I'm like, oh my gosh, listen to that, 
And Brad goes, yeah, sounds like the first half of an album, doesn't it? And I went, what? And he goes, yeah, let's go write six more. And I went, okay. I go, well, those were just demos. And he goes, no, those are sides. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went, we cut six more, and we came back two, two or three months later. We cut six more. And, and at the end of the day, I go, I go when are we going to do the vocals? And he goes, you did them. And I went, no, no, no. The so real, you thought they were just scratch vocals yeah. and you were peeling through them? I go, well, the real vocals. And he goes, oh, no, no. Uh-uh, those are the vocals. And I went, oh, my Lord. I go, you got to let me listen to them because I was sick. On the second day, I had, uh, of course, famous Nashville sinuses. It was like, yeah. you know, f- the fall hit or whatever. I sound like Daggum uh, in the studio, like, uh, what's her name um, from Texas? Uh, what is her name? Redheaded. Uh, oh, gosh. You know who I'm talking about? The rocker, Janice. Janice. Oh. Joplin. Joplin. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we got done, and I go, you got to let me listen to those, Brad. I don't know. And I listened to him, and I went, Dang, I don't like. I kind of like those. I like that scratch. Keep it. He goes. I was going to keep it. Yeah. So, anyways, it was the best recording experience of my life. Was that just because you just <coughs> felt me. so free and you were just playing with the band and we it, were just it just felt fun. like a gig? We were having fun. It was the first time I'd ever cut a record that I wasn't pressured. I, all my records I've cut with Luke, I just love, and I love Luke and everything. But I was so, I felt the pressure of, this is an album. Yeah. This is for Warner Brothers. Oh, my God, I can't sing. Uh, uh, I mean, you, 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 you what, should, what am I doing here? I should be a waitress. I mean, you, you go oh, through man. all those emotions, you know. That red line yeah. fever. Well, there, I thought we were just messing around. Yeah. So I was just having fun. Plus, I'm older, Bart, and that just makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a difference. Because now you're going like, what have I got to lose? Absolutely. Does yeah. my husband still love me? Here yeah. we go. Yeah. God still love Do me? Do I know about Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Here we go. I'll be I'm just good. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. We're you know. But um that's what happened. And my husband actually named the band because James came in after one take and he's going, Rawr! and he was just like, he was, they were just so the adrenaline because they were all jamming and they were just having so much fun. Yeah. No, no, no restraints. No one was like, could you replay that? Or could you do this? Or could you? I mean, most of them are first take. Yeah. There's one no, take. no fixing. Yeah. No, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. And they were all loving it. It was like a band gig. And James was like, ah, and Dave goes, man, you look like a honey badger. You look like a, an electric honey badger. And the whole band goes, ah. And so then it became a deal. And then we started telling, you know, like a week after we called Trisha to see if she would sing on it. And I went, you'll be an electric honey badger. That's right. And she goes, what? what? I want to be an electric honey badger. <laughs> and then Vinny was like, I'm an electric honey badger too. And so everybody's jazzed about being a honey badger. So. Have do, any of those songs been cut by other people? No, not yet. Chrome Halo is the one that just knocked oh, me out. You. I just freaking love that. I got that title off a tattoo parlor in Murfreesboro. Well, there you go. I went down there to do some show, and we were driving along, and we were coming back home, and I saw this, and I go, what is that? It said Chrome Halo on it. I went, what is that? And Dave goes, it's a tattoo parlor. And I went, Chrome Halo. That's good. It's like you hear Chrome, Chrome Halo. Halo. And he goes, ooh. And I went, oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Got a little yeah. book out. Write that right down. <laughs> How many shows do you do a year? Well, I'm up to about 65, 70 now. It's a bundle. It's rocking it for a person who doesn't have a record deal. That's good. Well, I do kind of have a record deal with my... I do have one with my little Notting Hill family here. They they put this record out. and, and But I mean, not a, you know... Yeah. I never did that many shows when I was on Warner Brothers. Did you really not? No. I didn't do any shows. I didn't... I was so... Bart, 
If I knew God, then so what weird. I know now, yeah. Reba would be giving me awards. Right. She'd be like, well, welcome to the stage, Leslie Satcher. It is a different world. I mean, I remember, and this is so dumb and so off anybody's topic, but when I first started working, we started Monument Records at mm-hmm. Sony. Our first act was Dixie Chicks. Yeah, and just those guys. We hit the road. I mean, there was one month, I remember I was gone 29 days. Mm-hmm. And this was before cell phones had roaming you were still paying oh no and I got my cell phone bill it was a car payment it was $8,000 and I dude you I just started sweating did you hand that off to Sony here you go I I took it straight to Alan Butler (laughs) please send this to Japan and tell him I'm sorry I wrote I resigned on the back of that bill no I didn't but I handed it to him and I go I don't know how to handle this I don't know what to do with this he goes Are you doing good work? I said, yeah. He says, well, go make some more phone calls. Bart, they were, they're icons. It's unbelievable. And you were there for the ride. I have two Diamond Awards from them hanging in my you basement. You were there for the ride, baby. Jeannie yeah. was at Natalie, not Natalie's oh, yeah. wedding, but uh, what, Marty's? Uh, Marty, yeah. Marty's wedding yep. down in Texas. You were down there? Yep, Martha. It, it was a ride. It yep. was an amazing ride. And I will say this, and even my husband, who was in radio at that time, he said, he, he goes, they're calling them what? The Dixie Chicks? That's the dumbest name I ever heard of. And I said the same thing. Yep. And people at that label said the same thing. Got oh. changed the name. And they were smart. They were smart girls. And they knew. women in radio hated us. They thought we called them that. It was, no, 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 no. That's their That's name. That's their name. They've been that name for a long time. Uh-huh. This is not the first uh-huh. Dixie Chicks record. I'm telling you, those girls were smart. Dude, I just... They were it's, smart. It's unbelievable. I remember the, when the second record came out, the week it went double platinum, we were still doing 30,000 pieces a week of the first record that was up over 11 million. Yeah, Bart, I got a beef with you, Bart. I didn't get any cuts on those chicks. <laughs> I didn't either. Okay, well... <laughs> I sure got cuts. Come to think of it, I'm mad times. at you, Bart. That's bad. That's I was like, right. get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So if you're doing that many shows, I mean, do you write every day? Do you write? Every- I write a lot. Yeah. And I also, I'm writing with a lot of new artists. And I'm writing this whole week with a guy from London. Um, and I'm writing as much as I can. I'm doing as many shows as I can. I'm doing as many interviews as I can. I am like everyone else in the music business. I'm turning over every stone. Yeah. It's not the 90s anymore. And it's mm. not. And I, I came into it all of this, Bart, at the at the, I got my record deal in 90, uh, get this, Mark. I got my record deal in 96. They didn't put my record out until 2001. 2001. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of a deal. You but were in the artist protection program. Baby, <laughs> I was on that Warner Brothers treadmill, <laughs> literally. And um, it, But you know what? I will always be so thankful for Jim Ed Norman because he, yeah. also living legend, taught yeah. me so much. Believed in me so much, I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for him. No, I didn't give him a hit album that was able. But let me just say this: in my defense and his defense, my record dropped the same day that Faith Hill's second record dropped. So it was like being a Volkswagen behind a Mack truck. Yeah. Okay. And, and <laughs> it was just like I remember Jesse Alexander told me one time. Plus Jesse, and I don't think she'll mind me telling this. She, I was relaying that to her at this very table. We were having a dinner party, and we were like, "Oh!" And she said, <laughs> "She was feeling the pain." I go, "Jesse, how's your record going?" She goes, "Well, 
I'm on radio tour with Gretchen Wilson. And yeah. she said, and so as you know, I mean, it was like, kaboom. Yeah. You know, and then here's Jessie, you know, with daisies in her hair, bless her heart. Yeah. And so probably one of the best singers ever opened her mouth Absolutely. in this town. Without a question. And writers. Yep. P- props. But one of the best, I mean, you hear Jessie sing with just a guitar, doesn't even need anything else. Yeah. She's just amazing. But put that behind the machine that was Gretchen. That was a monster, and truck, I mean, man. snap! She yeah. she's in the room. You know, it's just it was just like I was like, dude, I feel your pain. Yeah, Let's talk about Faith Hill. <laughs> you know, get out of my way, or I'm going to run you over. <laughs> well, it just it just the way things happen. We talked about Jeffrey Steele. I mean, come on, Jeffrey Steele, name a bigger talent in this town. Yeah, Probably, he, he to me is the difference of playing music and being music. Uh huh. Uh huh. Let me just say this, Bart. I'll give you one tiny Jeffrey Steele story. He may or may not remember this. I play this show every year in the beginning of the year in Palm Beach. Okay, for this uh, for Leadership Palm Beach, they do a thing where they raise money for their youth program there. And um, anyway, uh, this uh, is either the first or second year. It's me, Bobby D. And get this lineup. It's me, Bobby D. Um, Married to Lisa Hensley, <laughs> Doug, oh, Johnson. Doug Johnson. He would die if he knew I'd lit it up like that. Go ahead and put that on. Put that on. <laughs> Married to Lisa Hensley. Um, anyways, right. Doug Johnson and Jeffrey. Okay. Well, these people in Palm Beach, it, it was it was new to them. They weren't listening to country music. They right. didn't know any of us. And Jeffrey was having a giant hit on the radio. So was Bobby. And they were doing that whole thing where, you know, you sing it. They would stop and let you, the crowd sing back, you know. And and Jeffrey had, right on, hell yeah, oh, bah, 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 you know. Well, everybody in town, you know. I mean, hell, the daggum cops, if he rolled down his window, they'd sing it back right. to him, you know. It was that big of a giant hit. Well, we're down there in Palm Beach, and these jokers, they don't know any of these songs. So Jeffrey would stop and go and look at them, and they'd just, like, hold up their martinis. They're like, what? What does well, he want? What does this long-haired man want? Why are you? You can hear olives moving. Oh, yeah. What does he want? <laughs> and so finally, he just can't take it, and it's just getting under his skin. And he's like, ah, ah. And the next thing you know, I mean, this is a sit-down gig up on a big platform. Jeffrey's up. He's practically on the chair. He kicks the chair back. Darn her, darn her, darn. He goes, and he's like, sing it back. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and so, and, it, and, and then he does Don't it. Don't hurt us. So we get through the end of the night, and they stuff us all in this big limousine to take us back to the hotel. <laughs> And I'm all excited because I've sold like 20 records, you know, and I go, man, I'm like, whew, me and David, we're all in there. And I said, I don't think, I'm, well, I'm not sure if David was there yet or not. Maybe he was. Anyways, he said, I said, Bob, we're all sitting in Bob last year you sell any records. And I go, man, I sold 18 records. I'm so excited. He goes, man, I did good too. I sold like 30. Wow, this is a good night. We're all sitting there. Jeffrey's laid back at the back end of that. He's like, he looks like Elvis. He's spread yeah. out the end of the limousine. I go, Jeffrey, did you sell any records? Yeah, baby, I did. I go, how many did you sell? He goes, 85. <laughs> We're like, son of a... <laughs> I told Bob, I go, now, Bob, that just teach you something. Get uh-huh. up on a chair, kick that sucker off the stage yep. next time. Because they're well, Jeffrey, not to buy a that's, record. That's calling will not be denied. Yeah. I will not be denied. I don't care who you are. I'm Jeffrey Steele. Come on. Get with the program. You can tell I that love guy's it. played 5,000 gigs. He can get an audience in the yeah. palm of his hand. Yeah. He's amazing. I've learned so much about showmanship from Jeffrey Steele. He, you know, I, my first pub deal was through him, and it was, I, I should have been more intimidated, but I didn't know what I was doing. That's so okay. It, That's good for you. Yeah. Well, it worked out pretty good, but there was those times where I'd be going like, hey, man, what? Oh, no, no. 
now what? And he goes, what? Stop self-censoring. Tell me what you were thinking. I go, but it's it's stupid, man. And he goes, nothing, there's no stupid, tell me what you th-. So I told him what I go, and he goes, yeah, you're right, that was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But as you very well Bless know, that, that self-censoring, I might tell you, you know, we need an orange rhyme. How about door hinge? And you'll go, that's stupid. But what if we did this instead and get you to someplace else? Dadgum, Mark, that's a dadgum good rhyme for orange. It's the only one I know of, door hinge. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to write that, Bart. <laughs> did you learn to self-censor or stop? Self, or was that ever a thing? Or you just throw my mother stuff? says this mouth never stops. Right. Okay. So let me just say the self censoring <laughs> has never actually had an effect on me. Right. And most of my friends, and if Vince McGill could hear this, he would be going, "That's right." Um, I I don't. I've never been that person. Yeah. Now I I I will say this, Bart. I have a really strong respect for all the. The, the historical people in our field, the people that I, I respect them, I respect the artists, I respect the people who are have been the leaders in behind the scenes. Uh, I, I respect them. And I think that sometimes, I do think our younger generation that's coming in now, they don't have enough respect to yeah. even Google someone. Yeah. And we did not have the benefit of Google, Bart. But we still did our research. But we did our research. A bit of homework goes a But long they long. don't do that uh-huh. now. And they will come into a room with someone and not understand who they're writing with. Yeah. And you want to go, man, you need to understand. The guy you're writing with has just had four hits with Eric Church. I'm talking about Michael Heaney. Um, he is he writes regularly with these cats here that are all having number ones. He's got a number one on the radio right now. And before he even came to this town, he was a giant, giant marketing genius in Chicago and was writing jingles that were so big of hits, they told him, don't even go to Nashville, waste your time there, before he ever came here. Yeah. He did that for fun. I said, that's the guy that you don't have enough respect for to even Google who he is yeah. or to get off your damn phone while you're writing with him. Now, I'm sorry I had to get on my soapbox. Don't give me you could put that on the microphone. <laughs> turn it off. If you're not Googling who you're writing with, turn it off. Now, Bart, I've had to learn that a lot of guys are writing on their phones, sure. that they're putting their lyric yeah. in. If I didn't understand that. Looking for a rhyme or something, I get that. I understand that. Yeah. It's a different day, and I've had to kind of learn about that. But... Man, if you're the only call you need to take is from your mama. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a cut? Um, let me. Oh, oh, is that a Grammy over there? Oh, it is. Yeah, I've had a cut. Oh, can I tell this story? <laughs> yes, please. Talking about John Randall Stewart. Here's a little respect story. We're writing with a new artist, and this girl has gone on to be kind of someone. So we won't say her name. Anyways, tell she me. hears this, she'll know. Talking about her, but hey, we're in the room with John Randall Stewart, who's just had whiskey lullaby. Now I'm going to also throw myself in the grease on this story part because I earned it. I earned the grease. <laughs> we're at Sony and we're in writer room number two, which I like to write in all the time. Jr's in the corner, me, this other chick's on the couch. We're writing. She, we're writing for her first album, and um, we get we're writing this song about breakup, of course, with her boyfriend. Blah blah, and so um, <laughs> blah blah heartache, and so. <laughs> J.R. sitting over there in the corner just picking around on this thing, you know. And and we come to this line, and she says, I want to say something like, the day was gray and gloomy. And J.R. says, uh, well, what about if you said the sky was molten steel and something, something, something? And I'm like, that's good. 
And I went, yeah, that's the line. I look at her. That's the line. She goes, no, what about if it was just a gray day? And I go, mm, no. I go, what about that? Now, Jr. it starts gets tickled. You know, he's kind of he's kind of giggling, and he's looking down. He's still fooling the guitar. He's like, uh-oh, there goes Leslie. She's about to go off. I don't even have to fight this battle because Leslie's about to open that big mouth of hers. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm getting madder by the minute. And I go, no, no, that's the line. And she goes, I don't know. I kind of like just if the day was gray. And I go, uh, okay, how about this? How about... Everyone in the room who's just had Song of the Year at the Grammys, the American Music Awards, the um, Country Music Awards, the MTV Awards, the blah, 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 the blah, 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 and um, number one BMI, and blah, 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 I go, raise your hand. Oh, what? Only he can. <laughs> so maybe we go with that line. She goes, well, okay. Okay. So I'm like, smack down in Beantown. You know, you're down, girl. And JR's just laughing the whole time. Okay. So... The next day, the next day, count them, we're next door, and it's me and Marv Green and Bill Anderson, okay, co-writer on Whiskey Lullaby. Yes. And so we're sitting in there, and <laughs> and we get stuck on a line, and Bill says, well, I think we ought to just say she was cheating on him. And I go, what if we say something like, she was running around, blah, 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 and I'm like, he goes, no, I think we ought to just say she was cheating on him. And I go, well, Bill... And now Marv's being quiet. And I go, well, what about if you, you know, we could dress it up a little. What if we say blah, 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 blah. And he goes, no, nah, just she was cheating on him. And in my head, I hear the Lord God of heaven say, everyone in the room who's just had a number one at the ACMs, at the CMAs, at the Grammys, at the, the band TV, raise your hand. And I went, you know what, Bill, I think that's a good line. Let's that's use good it. Line. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> Smack down from heaven. Do you want to do my ten questions? Yes. And this is just rapid fire. Don't think. Okay. What's your favorite drink since it's thinking and drinking? Alcoholic drink? No, it, coffee, water, whatever. My favorite drink? Marguerite. There you go. What's your favorite book? I think I already know. Oh, my favorite book is called The Country of the Pointed Furs. It is a book that was written by a woman. She only had one big, big novel. It's about the coast of Maine, and it is a beautiful book. Dang, I've never even heard of that mm-hmm. one. What's your favorite food? Red beans and cornbread. There you go. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote? Um, oh, Connie Smith. Just love them and they'll love you back. That's a good one. The fans. One. Yeah. What, uh, what was the first concert you saw and how old were you? The first concert I saw was the Oak Ridge Boys. And I was, um, uh, I was probably 10. Nice. Would you rather... Uh, they were still gospel. Yes, yes. What's the favorite song that you've written? Could have been a hit, could have never even been demoed. Rapid Fire, You Remain, for Willie, Nel- for Willie Nelson. Wrote it for him, he recorded it, and then, of course, Bonnie Raitt sang on it. So, you know, that's double ring, yeah. the big bell. That's a good one. What song do you wish you could have written? Uh, he Stopped Loving Her Today. Mm. And you, the people you've written with is so astounding. Is there somebody out there that you'd still want to write with? Yes, I want to write with. Um, I want to write with uh, Michael McDonald. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on his sister Kathy Walker for years, okay. and Good. she's been working on him. But I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But if if I, if, if that's my, I'd like to write with Michael McDonald. Nice. What's next? Well, 
I am going to make another blues record. I am working on a musical with another writer that's going to be a big deal. We already have some Broadway-esque um, that's awesome. uh, interest over something that's a passion of mine. Over this, I can't give it up who it's about, but it's, a, it's something I'm passionate about. But I'm, I will give you this little thing. It's, it has to do with art, and I'm a painter, and so it has to do with something like that. And um, <clears throat> that's next. And... Um, I want to keep making music. I'd like to tour. I'd like to actually tour as an artist. Mm-hmm. I never have gotten to tour. I've done a lot of one-offs, but I've never got to like do the whole get on the big bus and go down the road. Everybody, every singer, kind of want they come here. Yeah. They want a record deal, and they want to tour one time. I'd like to do that one yeah. time. That's awesome. LeslieSatcher.com, yeah. is that? Is there, what are LeslieSatcher.com is where you can find out what's going on in the world of us. And um, also, you can get my records there. And, um, you know, you can send me a Leslie Satcher on Facebook. Got a lot of great Facebook fans. And, Bart, I have embraced the modern age. I'm digging Instagram. So I'm at Leslie Satcher. I love it. I don't do a whole lot of Facebook stuff. You know, my, my, my husband who manages for me, he, he helps me with all that stuff. And I think my, my Facebook page is basically a fan page, you know, so if you email me on that or if you Facebook me, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that yeah. as much. Um, I do some, but not as much because there's a whole lot going on with that. But Instagram, I love. Yeah. Do you do Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. It's so quick and fast, and yep. I learned how to, you know, and I'm getting, I'm building up my followers. I'm so excited. I'm up for like a thousand. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> my daughter is a is a sort of an influencer in the in the beauty world, and my stepdaughter and she. I asked her on the phone the other day. She, uh, her boyfriend is the drummer for Fallout Boy. Okay, and um, they are, of course, you know, rock stars now. They're zinging yeah. around the world. And uh, Meredith is a, her name is Meredith Allen, and she's a very, very talented uh, makeup artist and hairdresser, and she's just really super talented. They live in Portland. And um, I said, how many Instagram followers do you have? And she said, 21,000. I went, will you talk about my record? <laughs> That's such an opportunity. She goes, yes, I will. So. Yeah, please talk about my record. <laughs> She's like, I said, I'll talk about your makeup. You know, so. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Bart. I like, really appreciate you shouldn't this. have waited so long to come over here. And plus, price for this interview, must write one song with me. Oh, I think we can do that. Okay, good, good. Awesome, Bart. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.